Well, good morning, church. It's good to be with you this morning. What a wonderful opportunity to worship the Lord in song at the waters of baptism and giving. And as we continue our worship, to take some time to worship Him in the Word. And so as we transition in our worship, can we take a few moments to bow in prayer? Uh, Father in heaven, we rejoice. We rejoice over our time together, to fellowship, to worship, to sing praises to your name. We thank you, Lord, for the, uh, the beautiful testimonies that were shared today in the waters of baptism. We thank you for the new life you bring us in Christ Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. Uh, Father, this morning as we turn to your word, we pray that you would prepare our hearts, that we would have hearts that are the kind of soil where your word like a seed can be planted, that can be take root and to bear fruit into righteousness in our lives. And so, Father, this morning, what we know not teach us, what we have not give us, and who we are not in Christ, we ask that you'd make us, and we ask it all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, there was a, a college student uh, who came to the end of his semester in school, and, and he still had one big term paper to write. You know, he waited till the last minute like some students do, and so he had a few days to get it done, and so for the next few days, he was uh, spent sleepless nights, countless hours doing the research, spending time in the library, but when the paper came due, he took the paper and he handed it in with great relief to the professor. Well, a couple days later, the students started to receive their papers back, and as he received his, he took a look at what was written on the top. It said, good research, great illustrations, wonderful bibliography, grade F, wrong assignment. <laughs> you know, uh, when I heard that story, and I got to tell you, it's based on a true story. I really felt for the guy, you know. Can you put yourself in his shoes? You, you slave away, you spend countless hours, sleepless nights, investing in, a, in an assignment that was really a waste of time because it was the wrong one. Uh, this morning, I'd like to apply that to the believer and to the church. Uh, not only is it a disappointment for that individual to do the wrong assignment, but what would it be like if we stood before the Lord, if a believer stood before the Lord, and the Lord said, you know, uh, nice house, great bank account, wonderful career, uh, grade F, wrong assignment. What if a church were to stand before the Lord and the Lord Jesus were to give, him a, give them a grade and say, you know, great building, wonderful location. You know, your church sign, we can see it from half a mile away. It's pretty impressive. Programs are wonderful. Socials are great. Grade F, wrong assignment. This morning, I want to take some time to remind us of the assignment that we've been given as a church and the priorities we as a church have been given to pursue. And so I want to invite you to two passages this morning to Matthew 28, verses 19 to 20. And we'll also be reading from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. You know, as you turn there in your Bibles this morning, we're going to be taking a break this week from 1 Peter. And I want to take some time to remind us of the assignment we've been given and the priorities we've been called to pursue this week is we take time to reflect on what God has been doing through our church this past year in 2022. And as we continue through this next year, talk about how God is going to continue to be working in the year ahead and the opportunities we have as a church to make disciples who know God and who make him known. And so, as you turn there in your Bibles, would you stand in honor of the reading of the word, Matthew 28, 
verses 19 to 20, and then we'll jump to Acts chapter 2. Matthew 28, verse 19 reads this way. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Jumping to Acts chapter 2, verse 41, it reads this way. Then those who gladly received the word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. The word of the Lord, y'all may be seated in the presence of God this morning. I always like to take once a year to uh, talk about what I like to call Vision Sunday. Talk about what the Word of God tells us about the assignment we've been given and the priorities we've been called to pursue as a church. To talk about a little bit about where we've been as a church this past year as we continue into 2023 this year and the unique opportunities God has given us as a church. And so this morning I want to answer two questions for us. The first one is the assignment we've been given and that's where we find in Matthew 28 verses 19 to 20. And then in a moment we'll talk about the priorities we've been called to pursue in Acts chapter 2 verses 41 to 47. But as we get started in Matthew 28, verses 19 to 20, we see the assignment we've been given. I always like to cross-reference Matthew 28, 19 to 20 with Acts 1-8. If Matthew 28 gives us the, the, the assignment we've been given, Acts 1-8 gives us more details of the assignment we've been given. The assignment is this, to make disciples. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have taught you. And then Jesus reminds us, lo, I am with you to the end of the age. If you take a look at verses 19 to 20, it looks in our English version as if there's four verbs. Go, make disciples, baptize, and teach. But in the original Greek, there's actually just one imperative. And the one imperative we have in verse 19 And verse 20 is make disciples. Make disciples. The rest of the verbs are what we call in the Greek participles or verbal adjectives. They simply tell us how we are to make disciples. And so what we are commanded to do, the assignment we've been given as a church corporately and as believers individually, we've been called to make disciples. Now before we talk about exactly what that means to make disciples, it's important to talk about what a disciple is. Because as a church, as believers who make up the church, we are called to be disciples and we're called to make disciples. It's interesting to note that in the first century, the word disciple was actually a a term that was used in everyday language to refer to the relationship between a, a student and their teacher. A disciple was someone who came under the instruction of their teacher or their rabbi. And so a disciple was simply any individual who studied under a professor, studied under a teacher, studied under a rabbi. But Jesus, he redefines the word discipleship. 
And he tells us in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to follow after me, it's not just coming under my teaching. He says, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself. He must take up his cross and he must follow me. The rest of the verse says this. It says, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? You know what that verse tells us? That if you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, to be a disciple and to make a disciple, a disciple is more than a student. A disciple is one who counts the cost. A disciple is an individual who follows after Christ in such a way that Jesus is the top priority. That you are so devoted to Jesus Christ that you're willing to give up your life for him. When Jesus says you must deny yourself, he's saying you must give up your desires of your heart and the worldly pursuits of your heart in order to come and follow after me. Jesus is not just saying become my student. He's saying I want you to follow me not just as your savior to forgive you of your sins, but your Lord who will guide and direct all areas of your life. Transform your mind, change you completely. And so when we're talking about being disciples and making disciples, we're talking about a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ to the sense that we're saying, I'm a disciple because Christ is my number one priority. I'm a disciple to the, to, in the sense that I'm willing to lay aside my fleshly desires and my worldly pursuits. I'm repenting, I'm changing my mind, I'm changing my directions, and I'm going to follow after Jesus And my desire to follow after Jesus is so great that in comparison to my love for my family or my love for my way of life, I will hate it in comparison to my love for Jesus. Because the Bible says in that text, it says if if, if someone desires to uh, gain life, we're speaking of eternal life, you have to lose your life in this world. But if you lose your life in this world, you're gain eternal life with Jesus. And so what a disciple is, is it's a fully devoted follower of Christ. It's one who who puts Christ as the top priority of their lives. And so we're called to be disciples and make disciples. We are called to be fully devoted followers of Christ as we grow in our devotion to the Lord. And we're called to help people take their next step with God as they grow as fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, making him their number one priority. And so make disciples, that's the main verb. And then we see three participles or um, verbs that tell us how we are to make disciples. The first one is go. Go, therefore, and make disciples. What we're told this morning in Matthew 28, 19 is that disciples are to be on the move. We're not to be just in one place. We're to be active. We're to be moving. I said earlier, Matthew 28, verse 19 gives us the, the assignment we've been given, Acts 1.8 gives us more details to that assignment. Acts 1.8 says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. So how are we called to go as we make disciples? First, in accordance with Acts 1.8, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Jesus, after he died, was buried, then the third day rose again. He spent about 40 days on the earth before he ascended to the right hand of the Father. But before he ascended, he said, I want to meet with you guys first. 
As he meets with them, he gives them this assignment, Matthew 28, Acts 1.8. And he says, I want you to stay in Jerusalem because you cannot do what you've been called to do. You cannot go where you've been called to go. You cannot preach what you've been called to preach with the effectiveness that I've called you to preach it with unless you have the right source of power. And that power source is not your rhetoric. That power source is not your experience. That power source is the Holy Spirit who will reside in you. And the same Holy Spirit that empowered the disciples who went out to the ends of the earth is the same Holy Spirit that enables and empowers you and I. The manner in which we go and make disciples is empowered by the Holy Spirit who resides in us. And so as much as we like to take a look at church growth strategies, as much as we like to consider business principles and add them into the church, as much as we'd like to be a, uh, some people will say, hey, want to be a seeker-sensitive church? We're going to go out into the neighborhood and ask the neighbors, what kind of church would you attend? We're not called to do that. We're called to follow the assignment we've been given to go empowered by the Holy Spirit to fulfill the task that we've been called to fulfill, to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. And so the manner in which we go is empowered by the Holy Spirit who resides in us. Secondly, in accordance with Acts 1.8, we are to go not just empowered by the Holy Spirit, we are to go as witnesses. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. A witness is someone in the court of law who just simply tells you what they heard, what they saw, and what they experienced. A witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ is someone who simply shares what they've heard, what they've seen, and what they've experienced in regards to the gospel message of Jesus Christ. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, John the Apostle gives us a good example of what it means to be a witness. The Apostle John says, that which was from the beginning, and speaking of Christ, that which we have heard with our ears, which we have seen with our eyes, that which we looked upon and which our hands have handled concerning the word of life. This is the one we proclaim to you. These eyewitnesses saw Jesus. They walked with Jesus. They talked with him. Not just Jesus before his death, and, but after his burial and after his resurrection, they interacted with Jesus and they testified concerning their eyewitness account concerning him. And you know what we as witnesses are to do as well? We are to testify of what we've heard concerning the gospel of Christ. What we've seen concerning the gospel of Christ and what we've experienced. The good news of the gospel is this. Jesus came from heaven to earth. He died on a cross, was buried three days later, rose in newness of life, and offers salvation as a free gift to anyone and everyone who will receive him. This is what it means to be a witness. We are witnesses of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. We get to share what we've heard, what we've seen in the word of God, and the transforming work that God has worked in our lives. Testimonies are a great opportunity to witness for what, who Christ is, what he's done, what he's doing, and what he continues to do. As witnesses of Christ. I don't know about you, but God is working ongoing in my life, and I need to continue to testify of that. So go empowered by the Holy Spirit. Go as a witness of Christ, and then we're told where to go, that we are sent ones. We are sent to Jerusalem, to Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem is locally, and so they were called to 
to go to Jerusalem, go throughout the city of Jerusalem. Judea is regionally in Samaria. You know, Jerusalem is where, uh, is in the greater region of Judea, and then you have Samaria, and then it says to literally the ends of the earth. And so the place we're called to go is locally, regionally, and globally. For us as a church, that means we've been called, our assignment is to reach Springfield for Christ. Our assignment is not just to reach Springfield. Our assignment is to reach the greater region. That could be Lane County. That could be Oregon. That could be the greater United States of America. But not only have we been called to reach Springfield and regionally Oregon and Lane County, but we've also been called to reach the ends of the earth for Christ. As you read the book of Acts, the gospel literally goes out from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, and the task is not yet complete. That's why the church is still here. We still have an assignment to fulfill, to to be witnesses, empowered by the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. Now, we can apply that to us as a church, but we can also apply that to us as individuals. The question then presents itself, what's your Jerusalem? Who are those among your neighbors, your family members, your friends that God has uniquely placed in your circle of influence? Who are those that God has placed in the workplace that you have an opportunity to reach and to speak with and to encourage Who are those in your life that God has placed in your immediate circle of influence? And then, not just your Jerusalem, your Judea, what does that look like? And and to the ends of the earth, as God provides opportunities for you, what does that look like for you in regards to fulfilling the assignment individually as a believer, but corporately as a local body, as the local church? And so first, what's our assignment? We're called to go, empowered by the Holy Spirit, as witnesses of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. Now, sometimes churches will put emphases on either local missions or, or global missions. We'll say, you know, we, 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 we just need to focus on our neighbors and reach them for Christ. That's true. But as we reach our neighbors for Christ, we shouldn't neglect the world. Because the mission given to the local church, to Twin Rivers, is not just local, it's global. And then at times we go, the the pendulum swings the other way and we we seem to focus on global missions while neglecting the local church and our immediate responsibility to reach our neighbors in the backyard. And so we don't want the pendulum to swing to the other side. I mean, it's a difficult thing when you have a church who's, who's, who's funding missionaries to the ends of the earth and then we can't even fund the local church, you know? We want to have a balance between reaching the world for Christ locally, regionally, and globally. We don't want to neglect any of it. And that begins by fulfilling our assignment. So go, go. Secondly, the manner in which we make disciples is by baptizing. Baptism um, assumes that one has heard the gospel, has responded in faith. Uh, People have come to them empowered by the Holy Spirit. They have witnessed and testified to them concerning the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, And having gone, now it's time for them to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This morning, we got had the opportunity to baptize three. Now, baptism is a visible symbol, as we said earlier, of an invisible reality. The waters of baptism are a picture of what Christ has done in our salvation. 
the waters of baptism, they serve uh, as a, a picture of our union with Christ in his death and his burial. And then when we are pulled out of the waters of baptism, as you see in Romans 6, we're united with Christ in his resurrection. And so baptism, as we're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, because we're reminded salvation is a Trinitarian work of God, that when we are baptized, we are identified with Christ, and we say, he's our number one priority. I am devoted to him and him alone. The reason I'm following Jesus as, as I get dipped in these waters of baptism is I identify with him in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. You know when you go down to the, the waters of baptism, it's a picture as 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, you know. Uh, it speaks of, of, of he who knew no sin became sin for us. That God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. And as we go down into those waters, it's a picture that we are united with Christ in his death and he paid for our sins past, present, and future on that cross. And then he ratified it three days later when he rose in newness of life. And when they come out of those waters, it's a picture of the new resurrection life in Christ. We are new creations in Christ. The old has passed away, the new has come. We make disciples by going. We make disciples by baptizing, we make disciples by teaching. Jesus says, teaching them all things I have taught you and lo, I'm with you to the end of the age. In Luke chapter 24, verse 27, we get a snippet of what it means to teach what Jesus taught. After Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to many and one of it, during one of his appearances, it says in Luke chapter 24, verse 27, with his disciples, it says, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What Jesus taught were the scriptures. Did you know all throughout the gospel of John, Jesus never says, uh, Jesus, Jesus always says, I'm an extension of the work and the words of my father. <laughs> that means that anything you hear about in the Old Testament is going to be consistent with his teaching during his time on this earth. Which is why, during this time, the New Testament isn't complete, right? The apostles and their close associates are those who are going to pen this through the Holy Spirit. But nevertheless, this is how the gospel goes out. We are to teach what Christ taught. What it means to teach what Christ taught is to teach God's word. And we have 66 books written by 40 plus different authors, but all God-breathed, all inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is what we teach and preach, the whole counsel of the word of God. So what does it mean to make disciples? We go, empowered by the Holy Spirit, as witnesses to the ends of the earth. We, we baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit uh, as as new believers in Christ are identified with Christ in his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and we teach all things that Christ taught concerning the scripture, being reminded that he is with us even to the end of the age. This morning, we're reminded of our assignment, of our assignment as a church corporately and as believers individually. Our assignment is twofold, to be disciples and to make disciples. 
is to grow as a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, to deny ourselves, to take up our crosses, and to follow after him, to make him our top priority. And we know that our mission is to make disciples as they grow in there as fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And they grow and are edified in the teaching and the preaching of the word of God. Discipleship really is God's word getting into the hearts of people and and God's word through the work of the spirit begins to change and transform the life all the way from, from, from the moment they first hear the gospel and then are converted and then they're in this process of sanctification being changed and transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. So be a disciple and make disciples. That is our assignment. This would be a good thing to write down. I am called to be a disciple. I've been called to make a disciple. Now, as a church, we always try to communicate that. So our way of communicating Matthew 28, 19 to 20, Acts 1, 8, is to say, make disciples. Know God and make him known. As we grow in our knowledge of God, we are not to keep it to ourselves; we're to share it with others. Now, how do we share it with others? We share it with unbelievers as we evangelize the lost, and we share it with fellow believers as we edify them and we build them up according to their needs in Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. So first, what is our assignment? Our assignment is to be disciples and to make disciples. What priorities are we called to pursue as we do just that? Jump with me to Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Now, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we just talked about the assignment that the disciples are given. You know, the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You're going to be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Well, at the beginning of Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes upon the 100 disciples in the upper room. And as the Holy Spirit comes upon them, now they're ready to go, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and be witnesses first in Jerusalem. And so the apostles, the 12 disciples minus Judas plus Matthias at the end of chapter 1, what they end up doing is they go out and they start preaching. And you know Peter? You know the guy you read about in the Gospels is always putting his foot in his mouth, you know? He always, he always speaks before he thinks and he's always getting into trouble with Jesus. There's something amazing about when the Holy Spirit enables and empowers you that, that the Holy Spirit's able to transform your weaknesses into strengths, And you know what Peter does in chapter 2? Empowered by the Holy Spirit, having received his assignment, he begins to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to anyone and everyone who will hear it alongside of the other 11 apostles, minus Judas plus Matthias. And as he preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ, we pick up in verse 41, and what do we hear takes place? It says, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. Well, we just experienced a baptism. We just got to witness a baptism and we got to hear three incredible testimonies of the transforming work of salvation in the lives of God's people. Isn't that amazing? And it tells us Peter preaches the gospel and people get baptized. But it's one thing to baptize three people. It's another thing to baptize 3,000. And that's what we hear as we finish up verse 41. It says, And those who gladly received the word baptized and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Okay, think about this for a moment. The church is just 120 disciples. And as Peter preaches the gospel alongside the other disciples, 3,000 come to faith, and immediately 
In the same day, the church grows from 120 to 3,120. You talk about, you know, express baptisms, right? I mean, they're walking through the water, going through, and they're declaring their new life in Jesus Christ, their Savior and their Lord. I want you to know this morning, discipleship does not end at conversion. It's just the beginning. We are called to go, empowered by the Spirit, to be witnesses in locally and globally to the ends of the earth, but as people accept Christ, that's just the beginning of discipleship. They need to grow in their faith, and you have 3,120 who need to grow. What priorities does the, does the early church pursue? What do fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, who are growing as fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, Christ devote themselves to? That's what you read about in verses 42 to 47. As a church, these are priorities we should pursue as we are growing as fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, making him our top priority. And so verse 42 reads this way. It says, and they, the 3,000 who have now been baptized, who have come to Christ, and they continued steadfastly. Um, they've, they've taken on new habits. Their lives have been changed. Listen, they're not prioritizing the same, same things they prioritized. Their group of friends are, are not the groups that they continue to hang out with because you see things have changed. They've, they've been transformed from the inside out and, and they devote themselves to that which is different, that which is distinct from the world because they're no longer of the world. They're now of the word. And, and it tells us they continued steadfastly. That just simply means they devoted themselves to the, these things. And so let me tell you this, those who are devoted to Jesus Christ are going to devote themselves to the things of God, and it says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching. The first priority that they prioritize, that, this is how you grow as, as a disciple under the teaching of the word of God, is, is they dedicated themselves to te the teaching of the word of God. Well, the text tells us who does the teaching, right? The apostles, it says the apostles' doctrine or the apostles' teaching. And so these apostles are, are teaching them. These were those who walked with Jesus for three years. These were those who were eyewitnesses of Christ. They saw him. They looked upon him. They heard him. They interacted with him. They, they embraced him. They saw him before and after his resurrection. And they declare who Jesus is and the teachings that he has given. The, the, the assignment was to was to go to baptize and to teach. And that's what they're doing. They are teaching. I want you to know as a church, we prioritize the teaching and the preaching of God's word. We believe that God's word is sufficient for all matters to which it speaks and is the final authority on all matters to which it speaks. We believe that God's word is enough. Now, experience can help in certain areas and and education can be helpful in certain areas, but, but everything you need for godliness in this life, to live a life set apart to the Lord, is in his word. Second Timothy 3.16, we don't just uh, talk about it or, 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 or quote it, we believe it. It says all scripture, all 66 books of the Bible, all scriptures God breathed. It's inspired by him written by human authors, but inspired by the living God. And they wrote exactly what they were supposed to write. 
It's profitable for doctrine, teaching, reproof, rebuke, correction. If we need to be corrected, instruction in righteousness. Then it says, so that the man of God may be complete. That means perfected. Ready for every good work. It's the picture of someone going on a long journey. It's, it's the picture of a ship preparing to go out on a journey and it's got all of the resources it needs to make the long journey. This journey called life. If you want to make it through, if you want to uh, make it through your marriage and, and raise your family the way you're called to and, and to love your neighbor and as you love God, we have it all in his word. And God's word is a priority in our church. You know, last year, I just wanted to give a report about where we've been as a church. Last year, uh, whether you realize it or not, we finished up the letter to the Romans. We walked through the book of Habakkuk. On Wednesday nights, we walked through the gospel of John. Uh, but not just is the word of God taught and preached on Sundays and Wednesdays, but in the different ministries of our church. We've got small groups. We've got men's Bible studies, women's Bible studies. We've got groups where uh, discussion is done over the teaching that is done on Sunday mornings. Our children's ministry, if you realize this or not, have been walking through the word of God. Last year, as they talked about answers through Genesis, they, they walked through the gospel message of Christ from creation to Christ, to the future consummation of the kingdom of God when Jesus comes back in glory. Uh, we teach the word of God in our children's ministry, in our youth ministry, in all facets of our church. We desire that God's word would be taught, would be preached, and that it would indeed be proclaimed. Uh, we believe that God's word is sufficient for all areas of life, uh, especially marriage. <laughs> this past year, we had a marriage conference in 2022, taking biblical principles and applying them to our marriages and what it means to make Christ at the center of our marriages. So we took uh, five different couples within our church, and uh, they shared each week about um, not just not just what it means to be married, but to talk about what it looks like in regards to implementing the scriptures into their marriages and to share that wisdom with us. We've had one-on-one -on -one discipleship take place in our church where uh, individuals came together in a class setting and we talked about what it means to be a disciple and what it means to make disciples. Well, it's because we believe that God's word is sufficient. We believe that God's word is authoritative on all matters to which it speaks. And as a church, we want to look for continued opportunities to make God's word foundational for all areas of our ministry and all areas of our lives. And so this morning, I just want to talk about the opportunities ahead of us as we consider what that looks like. We're going to continue to faithfully preach and teach God's word on Sundays and Wednesdays. We're going to, uh, we're looking at... Um, um, in the year ahead, recruiting and training marriage mentors in God's word and what it means to, to, to take God's word and take married couples who are seasoned in God's word and, and can come alongside other couples and, and share what God's word says about being married and the experiences that they've had. And so I want to share that with you. If you feel like God's laying it on your heart and God has put you in that season and has blessed you guys as a married couple and says, hey, I'd love for you to mentor someone else in the church as a married couple. We want you to let us know. 
So in the days and the weeks and the months ahead, we want to uh, talk to you. We, wanna, we want to train you. We want to bring you along on the journey. We want to continue to pursue what it means to disciple one-on-one. And we'll continue to talk about what that looks like. Uh, we're going to continue to, in our groups, uh, uh, prioritize God's word as that which is being taught, that which is being discussed. And so God's word is a priority for us as we continue into this next year. So first, we see teaching. Secondly, they continued steadfast in teaching, but secondly, in fellowship. Uh, the word fellowship in the Greek, just, many people know this word, is koinonia. The word koinonia literally means that which we have in common, that which we share. You know what we share and that which we have in common as believers in the local church? We have in common our profession of faith in Jesus as our Savior and our Lord. We follow him, we love him, we serve him. And so we're called to be a church that, that, that walks in fellowship one with another. Fellowship is not just uh, saying hi and expressing pleasantries, but going deeper in our relationship one with one another. I read this quote, and I think this really sums up what it looks like to, to really be a church who has genuine koinonia fellowship. A church that has a passion is a church where discouraged folks cheer up, Dishonest folks fess up, sour folks sweeten up. I love it. Closed folks open up, gossipers shut up. <laughs> Conflicted folks make up, sleeping folks wake up, lukewarm folk fire up, dry bones shake up, and pew potatoes stand up. <laughs> but most of all, Christ the Savior of the entire world is lifted up. We believe fellowship doesn't just happen in rows, it happens in circles. You know, you can have fellowship on a Sunday morning, but, but going deeper is what we want to have. And so groups and, and are our primary way to do that. Bible studies are a great way to do that. Not just to sit in rows, but to get to know one another in a circle and really talk about God's word and talk about your life and how it applies to your life. And so we want to, as a church, continue to make uh, that a priority. Uh, I, I share this. We have Sunday gatherings, Wednesday gatherings, Wednesday gatherings, group gatherings. And even this past year, we had a Christmas gathering. We do that every now and again when Christmas falls on a Sunday. Um, just to give you some reports, uh, this past year, we added 43 new members to Twin Rivers Church. Um, we have a total of 196 members and average attendance on Sunday mornings right around 316 of adults and of children. But we get to see that's the kind of fellowship we are called to have one with another. So we know these are the people we need to be in fellowship with. Uh, opportunities we have in, in coming in March. If you want to take your next step with God and uh, perhaps join the membership of our church and the fellowship of our church and say, I have in common with you your belief system. You guys are moving in the same direction as I am. I believe the assignment we've been given is to make disciples, and I want to go on that journey with you guys. In March, we're going to have a next step class, as we call it growth track in the past. And what we're going to do is we're going to talk about four classes. It's going to be membership is the first one. What does it mean to be a part of the family here at Twin Rivers Church? The second one are fundamentals of the faith uh, as we talk about what it means to be a follower of Christ and healthy spiritual disciplines we need to have. The third one is going to be purpose. We're going to talk about your spiritual gifts and talk about how God has uniquely gifted you to play a part in the local body regardless of your age or stage. And then the last one is teams. And we're on that last meeting, we're going to put you on a team and we're going to get you serving in 
your church. And so we want to invite you to join us for those next step classes. In May, we're going to have a ministry fair that will prepare us for September as we kick off some new classes and different things going on there. And so um, um, hopefully in May, as we talk about marriage mentors, we'll have some marriage mentors trained and available. And in May, if you want as a couple to come alongside of another couple and say, hey, I would love for them to come alongside of me in this season, you'll be able to sign up during that time. And so we're excited for that. So they continued steadfastly in fellowship. They continued steadfastly next in the breaking of bread. Now this could either refer to just sharing a meal together, but it probably also refers to uh, the shared communion table together and the Lord's Supper together. A great opportunity to meet together as a church. It's talking about the corporate gathering of God's people. So if I could label this, that which they committed to, them to themselves to, it's not just teaching, it's not just fellowship, but it's also worship. I'm talking about the corporate gathering of the people of God. And when we gather as the corporate gathering of people of God, one of the things we do in our worship is we observe the Lord's Supper. We celebrate Christ and who he is, what he's done, what he's doing, and what he promises to do. Uh, the... Lord's table is a, a, a visible symbol of an invisible reality. The bread and the cup, of, and the cup represent uh, the, his sacrificial death on the cross. And we celebrate that in our corporate gatherings. And we will continue to make worship a priority in our church. Last year we did nights of prayer and worship. We try to do those quarterly. We'll continue to do those. But uh, Sunday morning gatherings, Wednesday, get, Wednesday gatherings, special gatherings throughout the year, those opportunities for us to meet as the body of Christ. So they devoted themselves also uh, to prayer, to prayer. Now, as you take a look at all of these priorities that they pursue, that we are called to pursue as they grow in, in their devotion to the Lord, when we talk about prayer, we're reminded that prayer is the means by which God does his, accomplishes his work. Now, God doesn't need our prayers, but he chooses to work in and through the prayers of his people. And so prayer should be a top priority for his church. Uh, the manner in which we've set to do that, and we've talked about that, is, you know, last year we did our 21 days of prayer and fasting. This year, in January, if you were with us, we kicked off our 25 days of prayer and fasting. And the reason we do that is just to start a new hell, a habit, to gather with the people of God and say, hey, we're going to commit to praying these first 25 days, but we pray those habits continue on. And so we want to continue to make prayer a priority in our church. We have our 9 a.m. prayer gathering in um, the room right next door. I mean, this morning, I think we were packed out. I think we'll have to move out of there soon. And what a great opportunity for us as a church if, if, if prayer meetings get so large we're meeting in here. Come on now. We want to see the, the, the Lord move in such a way. We are so dependent upon the Lord that we're praying to him. We're expressing our dependence on him to accomplish his purposes as we continue to grow as fully devoted followers of Christ and as we make fully devoted followers of Christ. Um, different events happen throughout the year. And this past year, we had our hoop camp prayer team. It was our first time we had a, a prayer team with our hoop camp. I'm sure people have always been praying with hoop camp in the past, but we had a, a unique one this year. And we also had a prayer team help with our Thanksgiving boxes. And so as people picked up those 110 boxes, we gave people an opportunity uh, from the community who had those needs to come and to pray. Uh, they devoted themselves uh, to 
Teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer, and then in 44 to 45, generosity. Verse 44 says, Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Now, it's a unique circumstance here because you have people who've come for the feast and they've come from all over and they say we're going to prolong our stay a little bit longer. They don't have very much. And as they're a new community of believers, they begin to share with one another. Not because they're forced to, but because they want to. And out of the generosity of their heart, everyone shares what they have and everyone has what they need. I'd like to share for a moment about the generosity that's taken place in our church. Um, whether you realize or not, we have what's called a deacon's fund. You could also hear, um, hear it described as a benevolence fund, but that's an opportunity to help the people within our church who have various needs. We all fall on hard times, and so we have a specific fund to help people out. Maybe you need help with your rent, so maybe you need help with your vehicle. Things, maybe you just need some gas money. We have that benevolence fund, and we help provide through that. Um, this past year, we actually, God's people were so generous in our church this last year, you guys gave way above and beyond our actual budget. And so what we like to do at the end of the year is make sure that our missions gets at least 10% of our budget. We like to tithe the tithe, right? And so we make sure 10% of our budget goes to missions. And so this past year, we had $27,000 left over. And I'd like to share with you where that went as we pass it out to our missionaries. Uh, a portion went to CEF to help them towards purchasing a van. Uh, we helped the church planting building projects in Baja, Mexico. Uh, we helped install internet at a Bible school in Kenya so students can access the internet and so ITEM can conduct virtual training. Uh, we helped the Eugene Mission raise funds to redo the entrance to the men's area to put in a new gravel, replace the worn out awning and freshen up the paint. We helped one of our missionaries working with internally displaced people groups that's similar to refugees in the Middle East. And we also helped funding for the OIDA people group training. And that's just some of the things that we had an opportunity to do just with that leftover funds. What an amazing thing to see the generosity of the church go out and make an impact for Christ all around the world. Uh, not only that, because of your generosity, we're also able to uh, do some updates ar around our buildings, uh, put, in, put in gates. We've also been able to purchase the house right next to the parsonage, right up here. Um, and so this year, uh, this past year, uh, we were actually living in the parsonage, and uh, we moved out, and so now we'll be using that parsonage to uh, help uh, bring in missionaries when they come as residents, because the Rogers are staying there right now. And when God provides uh, further staff, we'll have that as as an opportunity as well. That house, some people ask, what are we going to do with it? It's not in the best state to be used, but we're continuing to seek the Lord on what those next steps are, whether it becomes a parking lot or whether we use it for other means, but we're going to continue to seek the Lord on that. In October, you had October, we had a thousand socks donated through Twin Rivers. And so not only were feet warmed, but hearts were warmed with the gospel through the Eugene Mission. In in uh, um, November, Thanksgiving boxes, 113. Operation Christmas Child, we sent out 182 boxes. What great opportunities we had this past year and what wonderful opportunities we have in the next year, this year, to continue to see what God is going to do in and through the generosity of his people. But what a wonderful thing to celebrate that. What a wonderful thing to reflect on that and to take the opportunity to tell God 
Thank you. And then lastly, they devoted themselves not just to generosity, they devoted themselves to growth and evangelism. And we get to see how that happened in verse 46. So continuing daily in one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And then listen to this last part. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. This morning, I just want to pause here for a moment and tell you uh, pastors and elders are not in charge of building the church. Jesus Christ is. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. The reason he said that is because the gates of hell are going to continue to seek to do so. But no matter how bad things look, Christ said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. And he builds his church through the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ as we are faithful witnesses for him. We do our part in sharing the message. Sharing the message among our circles of influence, sharing the message as we consider the unique opportunities we have as a church And then seeing what God does as he adds faithfully to his church. Because when the church grows and new people come to faith in Jesus, who gets the credit? The Lord Jesus does because he's the one building the church. I just want to share this. Last year we had 10 baptisms. Last year we also had 10 babies born. Wow. Something in the water around here. Uh, in terms of local and global outreach, we support 12 missionaries. We added Joel and Krista Martin um, as our missionaries. Most recently, they are ministers uh, for InterVarsity on the U of O campus here at the University of Oregon. And so they were uh, added recently, and we're continuing to, as our missions teams continues to work with folks, bring new folks on board. In terms of outreach events, we've had the opportunity to do, we've had skateboard, skate park outreach in the park. Um, Whether you were part of that or you had the opportunity to pray, we went out to the park right up the street and they had a competition. We got to share the gospel with folks all around. We got to pray with people. We got to hand out Bibles. That was an exciting time. Hoop camp is always a great opportunity for our our, our church to reach out to our community. We had 110 campers and uh, we prayed that God would continue to bless that outreach. We we do door-to-door outreach from time to time and this is something we want to do more of as we reach out to our community. We have kids' musical. And that's not just for us to watch the kids of our church do an amazing performance, but to reach the lost for Christ and share, share through those musicals the good news of Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. We have our harvest party once a year, and part of that is, is not just to, to, to do an inreach, but to do an outreach for folks who would walk in. We can pray for them and even introduce them to Christ as the gospel is shared. We had a hot chocolate outreach this year. That was a good time. We had our Springfield parade and uh, we were able to pass out hot cups of chocolate, hot chocolate, and then we also were able to pray with folks and chat with folks. We also did two car washes. So those are little events that we've done here and there, but I want to take some time to talk about more outreach opportunities, not just doing one-time events, but considering how we as a church can grow and develop relationships within the community. Continuing to work with the mission organizations we work with, if we take a look at Eugene Mission as one of those, but but partnering along those in the community who are already going about the gospel message of Christ. Uh, Something exciting that happened this past year was 
Harold, he's one of our, our members. He went out and um, he started a Bible study out at a, uh, a local business, Natron, um, and he does this Natron Bible study. It started off, you know, um, with not a lot of folks coming and we didn't know how it all would work out, but now on Sunday evenings out at Natron, and anyone who wants to come out there, we'd love for you to come and see what God is doing through that Bible study. Um, they're up to 40, 50 people each week, and these are not believers. They don't know Jesus as their Savior. Savior and Lord. So we've got a mission field right there, and we're excited for what God can and will continue to do through that Bible study and the opportunities we have to reach them. And so something we want to do moving forward is we want to make available uh, the capacity to, uh, if someone who is Hispanic, Spanish-speaking and doesn't know English, that we can have um, somebody translating into their ear. And so we're in the process of taking a look at various uh, technologies that will allow us to do that. And so be praying for that. If you know how, if you know Spanish and you can translate into English, we want to chat with you because we're looking for some translators. It would be great to have someone who can help with that. I just want to mention small things that happen. We're always excited as staff pastors and elders to know what you're already doing and we love to jump on board with that. Because people are doing things already and we want to know what those things are. Like uh, some of our students in our students' ministry at the local high school, they have like a, uh, I don't know if it's called a Bible club, but they're talking about the Lord and that is a, a special outreach at Thurston High School. I mean, how exciting is that that our young people are going out and sharing the message of Jesus Christ? Those are the kinds of things we want to celebrate. And then we want to challenge ourselves uh, to reach our neighbors as a church and to reach our neighbors as individuals. Uh, last week, we passed out those circles of influence cards, and whether you have those or not, we just want to challenge you to continue to write down your 8 to 12 people uh, that God has uniquely placed in your circle and to pray for them, to follow up with you about that, to encourage you, and to come alongside of you. But as a church, we also want to do that. You know, we've been called to reach our Jerusalem, and our Jerusalem, you just step outside of these doors are these apartments. Our Jerusalem are the different neighbors that we have around the church. And so as, as a church body, we're continuing to look at opportunities for what that looks like. If we were to adopt the apartments, adopt a school, just the people that we already should be reaching and take a look at, 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 at actual things that we can do to make an impact and a difference for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Charles Spurgeon put it this way, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let no one go unwarned or unprayed for. May that be the heart of our church. May we be those who are being disciples and making disciples, fully devoted followers of Christ who are growing in our devotion to the Lord and as we have opportunity to help others grow as well. And so this morning, I want to invite you along on the journey to see what God has for us in the future. The way that I measure whether or not we are uh, being faithful to the mission that we've been called to and the priorities we've been called to pursue is three ways. Number one is a church where Christ is exalted, where the believers are edified, built up according to their needs in Christ Jesus, and where the evangelized are lost. May we be that church. This morning, can we pray? Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for the blessing and opportunity we have to gather together and just take some time to be reminded of the mission and the assignment that we've been given. Be reminded of the priorities we've been called to pursue. 
I pray this morning for our church that this would be an encouragement to us to see what you have for us this year, that uh, we would be faithful to do what you've called us to do. I pray for the leadership of our church. I pray for myself among the pastors and the elders. I thank you, Father, for the staff that we have. I thank you for all the volunteers and all those who lead the various ministries of our church. And Father, I pray that you would continue to work in and through us, Lord. I pray, Father, you'd guide and direct us in all things and that your word would be that which leads us and moves us forward. Father, if there's anything not of you, Lord, we pray that you would make that abundantly clear. Father, I pray for our church family that we uh, can all look at what our next step is what that next step may be to grow as a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for those who don't know you this morning and want to make Jesus their Savior and their Lord. I pray that you would reveal the truth of the gospel in their hearts. Father, that they could say this prayer even if they want to come to faith right now. Father, I recognize I'm a sinner. I miss the mark. I've fallen short. I know, Father, that the wages of sin, the, the, the consequence is an eternity without God and his people forever. But I know that was why Jesus came. He came to die on a cross for my sins, to forgive me and grant me everlasting life. Today I make Jesus my Savior, I make him my Lord. Father, I want to pray for those this morning who don't just want to make you Savior, but Lord, want to take that next step of, of continuing to uh, uh, um, find a church, Lord, where they can get connected, where they can join a group, where uh, they can join the membership of the body. Uh, Lord, that you would guide and direct each of us to serve with the gifts that we've been given, Lord, that you would challenge us to see the opportunities that you have provided each one of us. Uh, Lord, we thank you for these things. We thank you uh, for what you have in store for us, and we pray your blessing on it, and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.